This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 16th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can also find me on Facebook and at, on Facebook and Instagram at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Well, uh, my practice this week, uh, so I am still kind of recovering. I'm like almost all the way better, but I am on steroids uh, for my medical issues from that I talked about last week. And, uh, steroids really affect me. Like, I feel like (laughs) I'm like, uh, you know, like an athlete taking them illicitly because I feel wild, like not in a good way. Actually, I'm laughing, but it's not, I feel like kind of aggressive and like energetic, but not like I can get anything done. Um, and just like, uh, kind of a sense of like anxiety. Um, cause you know, like steroids do make your, what they do is they up your cortisol And I have definitely been feeling that. I took my last pill like two days ago and I'm so relieved. Like I can finally feel it. I can like literally feel it leaving my body. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I've been like pretty unpleasant, I think, to be around for the people in my house. And for that, I am sorry. Um, But yeah, so I did have a really good experience with it, though, because I've been meditating. I think I've talked about this on the show where I've been my new my like objective in meditation lately is to really take away judgment so to experience whatever it is I'm experiencing but without judging it which once I tried to start doing that I realized like man I judge every single thing like every gesture every feeling every like thought I judge I judge I judge so it's been a real journey like a real lesson in trying to take judgment away and just letting myself experience whatever the experience is without judgment um you know like even breathing right the minute I observe my breath I'm like that's not a good breath let me try to breathe better (laughs) it's like so wild uh anyway so my I was having one of the things one of the side effects of these steroids is like my heart races um and I can't really predict when it's going to happen. You know, it's like, who knows what my body chemistry is doing. And I was trying to meditate and my heart was racing. And, you know, my sort of habitual thing to do in that situation is to like really go into it. Like, oh, my heart is racing. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, why am I anxious? Oh, let me list all the things I could be anxious about. Oh, that's made me more anxious. Oh, now my heart is racing more, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of doing that for once, I was just looked at it and I was like, oh, this is the sensation of your heart racing. Like that is your heart beating really fast. Like feel what that feels like. And I was really able to separate that from anxiety, which was felt like actually a breakthrough for me. Like to have this, um, it, it felt almost like being able to stop kind of an anxiety attack from happening in a way. Um, or, or maybe to, that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. And and then to experience just my heart racing as a thing, that's nothing that, that I didn't, you know, I don't have to feel any way about, right. It's just what's happening. And actually once I experienced it like that, I could almost experience it as something pleasant because, you know, sometimes your heart races for a good thing too. (laughs) 
um, yeah, it felt, I don't know, it felt just kind of like a little indicator that I am on the right path in my meditation and that, I don't know, the littlest, tiniest bit, maybe it's working, um, which is always encouraging. Yeah, and I was thinking about that a lot with my guest today, Zach Beach, who has had a really interesting life path. He is a love coach, so not a job you see very often. Um, and I was kind of drilling him in the interview about how he ended up on this path and like kind of like how how do you get on a path like this? You know, just questions like that. And he was really interesting in his kind of openness and curiosity. One, he has that in reading. Like he has read so many religious texts and so many philosophers and so many writers. So you get that sense of curiosity for that. But he also has a sense of curiosity of just his own life and his own experience that was uh, really freeing to hear about um, and inspiring. Um, Where, you know, he sort of let his life be dictated by really paying attention and really um, listening deep to what it is that his soul wants. And he has just followed that and it's made this lovely life for himself. Definitely a great listen if you're on the road to life. So yeah, all of us, I guess, (laughs) Uh, is Zach Beach. Well, uh, welcome, Zach. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thanks, Rebecca, for having me. (laughs) Of course. Um, So I want to jump right in. Um, You are a bestselling author. I have to read this because there's so many of them. A poet, an internationally renowned yoga teacher, a love coach, and a founder of the Love Center or the Heart Center Love School. And also a host of the Learn to Love podcast, which I was saying off air, um, I found really helpful. I was listening to today and it was a really good reminder of my relationship with my partner. Um, So all of those things you do, uh, can you tell me what what do you consider your work? Like what's your work in the world these days? Yeah, it's really quite simple because for me, my work in the world is love. And about a decade ago, I was working in the corporate world, staring at a computer screen and decided that life is too short not to do what you love. And what I happened to love was love. And I decided I wanted to vote myself to love in all of its myriad of shapes and forms that it takes in this life. So I do think of my work in the world as all connecting to love and existing on the level of the body, the heart and the mind. So on the level of the body, I love yoga. It's one of the jobs that I chose because I can read poetry and tell people to open their hearts every single day. And then on the level of the heart is I write poetry and do spoken word. And then on the level of the mind, I teach and educate and write and do workshops and things like that. So that is, it sounds like the dream of so many people who are living in the corporate world. Can you talk a little bit about how you got to the place you are today? Like, what what was that journey like? Well, I definitely don't want to, like, diminish that working for a corporation is a totally valid path for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I have two sisters, and they both love their jobs and love what they do in the world. But it's not a matter of following anybody else's path but your own. And I do often think about this quote along the lines of a fool who persists in his folly will eventually become wise. And I don't, 
aspire to any profound divine wisdom that put me on my path, but rather a just open heart and an open mind to what truly matters. And that's where our spiritual practice is so powerful and so valuable because it does offer that internal reflection of, am I on the right path right now? And just as in a yoga stretch, if we make a little adjustment, does this feel better? Does this feel worse? So too, we make those adjustments in our life. Does this feel better? Does this feel worse? And through that continuous iterative process of checking in, am I living from my heart? Am I living most of my truth? I eventually rather securitously found the path that I was meant to be on uh, in this life. That um, seems very uh, like so like you've thought a lot about yourself. And um, I would say I didn't think about how I felt in a position of my body or in my position in the world, probably until I was 25, like even considered, well, how do I feel? Because that actually is not a question I was taught to ask myself. Um, at what? So you're at your job and you realize like this isn't for me like this is not I'm not happy here like that moment was that because you had started meditating or was it a profound realization like how did you get to that moment where you looked at your computer screen you're like this isn't what I'm meant to do well this is what the idea of practice um, comes in because a practice is something that we choose to do every single day so indeed, I had started a meditation practice and a yoga practice, which I really committed to doing every single day. And one of the things I love to bring into my teaching is just a quote by Brene Brown that everything we value in life is a practice. If you want more love, happiness, compassion, kindness, understanding, peace, these are things we choose consciously to bring into our life every single day. In yoga, we would call it setting your intention or sankalpa. But the point is, it's a conscious decision to bring into your life. So yes, quitting your job is a huge leap. But that was just like one step of many steps that I've taken to fully live from my own heart. And like any other human being, you make mistakes along the way. You get on paths that go nowhere. You have expectations about a certain path that ends up not at all living up uh, to what you thought it was going to be. But that's what happens every time you sit at your meditation cushion and you come to your yoga practice is you come back again and again and again and again. And you continually ask yourself, am I living in line with my heart? Am I living in line with what matters? And through a few years of meditating and of yoga and reflecting on what matters most to me, um, I realized that the path that I was on and the job that I was working at just wasn't serving me. Can we talk a little bit about your uh, meditation and yoga practice and uh, maybe talk f your journey through that? Cause that's like a total other journey. It's just for me anyway, I've noticed like it, you know, it has these ups and downs and there's different things I'm interested in. Um, you know, at a certain point, just being a new mother was my meditation practice. And now mm. I'm sort of getting back to the cushion, but can we talk a little bit about what, what your meditation and asana journey has been like? 
Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it always changes and it's always developing and it's always meeting new needs and demands that life puts on us. Right. I do really love the yoga teacher, Donna Farhi, and she talks a lot about how our practice changes across our life. So like when you're 20, when you're in your twenties, like you want to get that like Instagram uh, model shape and you want to go for like the challenging poses and the hyper flexible poses. And then of course, as you go on in your practice, as you become 30, it becomes less in your thirties, it becomes less about trying to achieve certain poses and more about maintaining certain poses and then continuing that into your forties and fifties. I'm kind of at that thirties process uh, of it. I'm in my thirties and really just trying to keep that steady, continuous practice, being able to do the poses a little bit better, a little bit deeper each and every day. Now, for me personally, I'm always keeping an open mind and I love exploring the myriad of spiritual and religious traditions that we have on this planet. And I think that there's a lot of negative negatives coming out about technology, about increases loneliness, about how social media increases uh, our states of depression and anxiety. But one of the really beautiful things about the technology that we have right now is it connects us to any resource that we could ever, ever possibly want in the entire compendium of human knowledge. So like right now, you could open up your phone and you could look up the Gita or the Tao Te Ching or the Yoga Sutras. And I really just love going into the myriad of truths, the myriad of practices that we have as human beings around the world. So originally I was really into kind of the Buddhist perspective and a lot of the Buddhist uh, Western psychology, mindfulness teachers, people like Jack Kornfield, Tara Brack, Mark Epstein, um, Joseph Goldstein, you know, that whole uh, Sharon Salzberg, that crew over there. When I went into yoga, I got into more of the teachers like Richard Freeman was a teacher I really liked, Rod Stryker, Sean Korn, people like that. And then I got really into kind of non-dual practices, non-duality um, practices in Advaita Vedanta, uh, things, teachers like um, John Prendergast, he's kind of an SF teacher that I really like and enjoy. Um, and really it's just been continuing to explore, continuing to develop, continuing to shift depending on where I am in my life and what I'm looking for. So what are you studying right now? setting like what is my intention right now yeah um you know my intention right now and really during covid has been a combination of turning in to reflect and also finding stillness amongst the chaos <laughs> and i was actually just reading a book into the stillness it's fairly common in the yoga world i think it's eric's eric schiffman um and he has this just really wonderful metaphor that our practice is a, a lot like a spinning top. And when you look at a top, it's like very stable, right? But it's stable within the swirl and within the chaos. And it's able to find that stability, kind of it's able to be the eye in the storm because it has found its center and it has found its balance. 
So this past year, it's been challenging for all of us. It's been super challenging for anyone in the public sphere, whether you're a musician who's used to playing big concerts or whether you're a yoga teacher. Um, we've really seen much of our industry like vaporize before our eyes. It's been a very uncertain time. It's been a very challenging time for all of us. And it's also an opportunity. So first thing I was really intended to do this, this past year was to use this opportunity of like, there's no social obligations, right? There's nothing to distract you from turning within from your own spiritual and meditation practice. So this year really turned into a really big writing retreat for me. Um, and I actually wrote a book um, that I'm working on getting published right now, which is literally just called morning meditations. And I've probably read more books in the past year than I did in like the previous five, because there was just that opportunity just at home. There's not much to do. And now is a beautiful opportunity to read, to get to the things that you weren't able to get to normally. And then really finding my own peace amongst the storm and finding that center, realizing that peace or happiness is not to be found in the external world, but by turning within. And then no matter what happens, no matter if COVID lasts forever, no matter if another crisis happens around the corner, no matter what happens in the impermanent world and the change in the storm and the ups and downs and vagaries of life, we can always look within and we can always find that peace that we seek within us. And that has been my intention really for this past year is finding that peace, reflecting and turning within. Mm, yeah, it, I, I really like the way that you said a challenge. You called it both a challenge and an opportunity because often it is both. Um, when you're feeling challenged, so this has been a challenging year and at times life is always challenging. Is there a certain um, yoga practice or meditation practice or I don't know, uh, Screen Osho style, like screaming meditation practice. <laughs> like, is there something in your toolkit where you're like, man, I'm feeling like really overwhelmed or I'm feeling really sad? Like, what is there something that you do that you know that you have like sort of in your back pocket? I mean, no matter where you are in the world, you always have your own breath. And wherever I go in the world, I always have my yoga mat. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Which is to say that at any time in our life, we can always pause and we can always breathe and we can always cultivate a bit of stillness no matter where we are. And your meditation cushion, your yoga mat can be your refuge, right? In Buddhism, we talk about the three refuges, which are places you can go in challenging times, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And the Buddha is your own Buddha nature, and you can call it love, light, source, awareness, Christ, nature, Krishna consciousness, whatever you want. The point is that within you, there is an untouched, beautiful and pure, timeless, formless, changeless presence that you can always return to simply by quieting the mind, deepening your breath and opening the heart. And then the Dharma, of course, is the path, the practice, the teaching. So, you know, when I think about like my ideal yoga practice, I think about being in an enormous studio with 
plenty of space to move around and incense burning and some beautiful music playing. But this past year has been yoga in next to the bed in between the window and in the corner over here. And the house is too noisy. So outside where there's grass and bugs and other things. Um, so and hasn't been in the ideal um, but it's always there, the practice and the path. And then the final refuge is the Sangha, is the community, is realizing that, yes, we aren't able to be in physical spaces as much together as we are used to, but we're still connected. And there have been a number of online communities that have been a nice refuge and conversations like this and other people going through the same thing, it's important to recognize that whatever you're going through, that you're not alone. Yeah. I, I had not, I never heard uh, that teaching of the three different um, realms, but it's really clarifying. It's just like, those are the three things you need to, it's like uh, your water, your air and your um, ability to breathe or your water, your air and your food, I guess. Um, we were talking about all of the different things in your toolkit and how, you know, this has been a challenging time. And we've been talking about meditation and this way to open your heart. And I find that in meditation as well. Um, but sometimes I also, I also like to write, not publish, but I like to write. Sometimes when I'm meditating, I get like a really good idea uh, for something I want to write. And I'm not sure if it's best to try to ignore it and try to come back to this moment or to stop and to write it down because I might never get it back. Uh, what, where do you stand on that? <laughs> well, in general, as writers, in my opinion, you have to keep your notepad in your pocket and at the bedside table. Like some of my best writings, I'm falling asleep at night and then something mm -hmm. just pops into my head. I'm like, it's okay. I'll remember it in the morning. No, you're not going to remember it in the morning. <laughs> so I was even reading an interview with, with Mary Oliver and she said the same. She's like, when the inspiration comes, when the muse sings to you, you have to write it down before it disappears. Now, that being said, I might make one exception. And that is during your meditation practice. Mm. Um, unless you're like, meditating 10 to 11 hours of the day or something and you need to take a break that's okay but for most of us we're meditating 15 20 30 minutes maybe an hour out of the day and the mind will do whatever it can to distract you it will say you absolutely have to do this thing right now if not the world is going to end and that's where you have to observe the mind. You have to watch the mind at how it is. Its sole focus seems to totally divert you from the present moment, from relaxation, from finding peace in the here and the now. So they even say, you know, if you, even if you feel like you have the most profound conclusion, you have the most profound states is you don't want to get attached to that either. And you go back to the breath and you go back to the breath or your mantra or whatever the focus is of your meditation, because you do need to train the mind and you do have to discipline the mind a bit. And the profound lyric that you just came in your mind is just another way to distract yourself from your breath and from the present moment. 
That makes sense. I, uh, I don't like hearing it, but I know you're right. It's, I think it's this <laughs> equivalent of being like, no, I, it, no, this, this itch is really important to scratch. No, no, this one's a big one. <laughs> It never no, is. It's not. Oh, what about that email? If I don't reply to it, like, yeah, that's the thing. The urgency. We we tend to believe everything that we that we think, and the mind will make things seem so urgent. And one of the best questions for inquiry is, can this wait? Mm. Right. Can this wait 10 minutes? Can this wait 20 minutes? And sometimes, yeah, if your child is crying in the other room, um, or sometimes if the children are too quiet, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, house is on on fire. But when I do find that question, like in my meditation, can this wait 99% of the time, the answer is yes. I know that you've been doing some traveling this year too, uh, like all COVID safe in a van. Is that right? I think I remember seeing that. Uh, Yes, I've done a lot of, well, so this past year, I've done a lot of domestic traveling. I'm used to being abroad about six months out of the year, traveling and teaching and just learning in different places uh, around the world. And the world was cut off. So indeed, me and my partner, now fiance, we packed, put everything into a storage unit and then bounced around the United States quite a bit. And yes, I want, really want to emphasize we're being as COVID safe as possible. Like we're literally just with ourselves, isolated from the rest of the world, um, camping on our own, you know, in national parks and different things like that. Um, And that's another silver lining for COVID for me is, you know, with each challenge, it was an opportunity. And this is an opportunity to explore my own backyard. And there are so much beautiful things in the United States to see um, that it was really quite fun. Yeah, I, um, well, one, I'm very jealous. I think my husband and I would have done the same thing if we didn't have a almost two-year-old because he would not be great in the car for that long. But one thing I have noticed in experiences like that, especially in a, a newish relationship, even even though you're in the great outdoors, so it seems like this great time to meditate and have an asana practice, I actually find it much harder. Like when I've gone on like longer camping trips, I find it hard to kind of sneak away uh, and, and do an asana or a meditation practice. Um, how, how did you stay committed? Because you said this is actually a great year for you for going in. How, how did you take that time away from your partner or, or away from, you know, these other great experiences to commit to yourself? Yeah, there's a few answers to your question. I'm hearing you saying that for me, when I'm outdoors, I actually have a harder time and my first inclination whenever any student says, I'm trying to meditate and be present, but this thing keeps coming up and I'm no longer able to be present. And it's like, that is now your practice. Like mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're dealing with, like, oh, but my child needs to be breastfed or something. Well, it sounds like breastfeeding your child is now your practice. Sounds like your relationship with your mother is now your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we encounter on the path can become part of our path, can be part of our fertilizer for our own growth, or as Ram Dass would say, it's grist for the mill. And if you only have five minutes as when you're on the bus or waiting in line at the grocery store to meditate, and that is the time that you have to meditate and to practice. So nature, being outside can be its own meditation, walking meditation, 
works for a lot of people who don't quite resonate with setting meditation. And I have really embraced the outdoors this past year because while so many things are closed down, nature has not. And I've done so many wonderful hikes and wonderful um, just sitting meditations out in the world. That's been really wonderful. But regarding the larger question is like, well, how do you find the time for your meditation, for your yoga, when there's these other things happening in your life? And that is where healthy life-serving boundaries come into play. Um, I teach a lot of workshops on self-love and just love in general, and both in our relationships and in our relationships to ourselves, boundaries are important. Um, and a lot of people don't think that. They think that, oh, if I want to love everyone, I should have no boundaries and just have an open heart and love everyone that I meet. Or some people um, don't think that they deserve that uh, self-love themselves and they don't feel comfortable setting up boundaries with others. But absolutely setting boundaries around your relationship, around yourself and what you need for your own practice, happiness and peace of mind can be really life-serving. So it is important to set like, hey, I need 90 minutes every day for myself. Maybe that's for yoga and meditation. Maybe it's for a bubble bath. Maybe. <laughs> um, but part of our self-love practice is setting up firm boundaries so that we can take care of ourselves. And it's especially important in COVID times because many of us are in one place, boundaries are a little bit more fluid. We're working from home. And then it's like when we're off, when we're done with work, we're still at home, still tempted to do work. But that's where the, that's where the role of healthy life serving, love serving boundaries comes into play in terms of think about what you need to better serve others, to better serve yourself in the world and what boundaries you need to, you need to set in order to do those things. Yeah, I really like the idea of boundaries being uh, actually a way to be better at loving others and loving yourself. Um, it's something that's taken me a really long time to fully learn. It's easy to say, harder to do, um, but it, it seems it's so true. Um, and the more you work on it, the more you see that it's true. Um, I wanted to end today with a little game, um, which I hope that you're down for. Uh, I will just say a word. And then you say what yoga pose makes you feel that way. Does that work? <laughs> okay. You're going to say a word. I have to pick a yoga pose. A yoga that pose makes that makes you feel, feel that way. That way. So it's probably yeah. going to be a feeling word. It's not going to be it's like gonna be a Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say like <laughs> elephant. <laughs> what makes you feel like asparagus? <laughs> <laughs> I could, but I won't. Um, okay. Well, considering our topic today, I'll start with the word loving. Mm. melting heart or puppy pose mm. powerful warrior okay uh strong mm. crow pose uh uh um stable uh sukhasana easy pose and last one grounded Shavasana. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. But actually, that brings us to, can you tell us about the book that you've already published, not the one you're trying to get published, but your first book? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, I think you're getting to my latest poetry collection, 108 Shavasana Poems. Oh. And that's actually my third book. No um, way. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I did not realize that. No worries. No worries. Um, and yeah, I'm really happy with how this recent collection turned out. Um, you're a good teacher. I'm a good teacher. And I would really, I loved uh, reading poetry in class, particularly during Shavasana, before Shavasana, or to close the class. So I'd always be on the lookout for amazing new poetry that I could read. And eventually, I couldn't find more poems to, to read during class. So then I started writing my own. And those poems that I wrote ended up into a book called 108 Shavasana Poems, Blissful Words from the Heart of Yoga. And so this is my collection and it's really been, it's really taken off and I'm really quite proud of it. And also I've been receiving just a lot of awesome feedback from other teachers, even meditation teachers are starting to read the poems uh, in their lectures and in their classes. And um, I could read a poem from that if you I want. I love that. Yes, please. Um, so I kind of say in the intro, like all the poems here are tested in the field. So <laughs> I read all of them to, to a certain extent um, in my own classes. Um, so here's, a, here's one. It is called, There is an Old Tree Growing. The universe shaped you from earth. Inside, there is an old tree growing, molded by the generations before you. Through lightning, rain, and storm, it continues to flourish. Trust in the wisdom growing inside you. Trust that rest brings your goals closer. As you would with a child, hold patience and tenderness in your heart. Coax from within the union of heaven and earth. The world carries you. The stars accompany the journey. The darkness has grown absent now. Harmony surrounds you. Stillness is the teacher. Presence is the lesson. Trust in the process that brought you here and the promise of awakening it holds. Ah, oh, that I love that trust. <laughs> <laughs> and I also I really just love the whole idea of a poem book uh created for Shavasana because it's a time of such like openness, a time when you're really willing to receive a lesson. So it also feels like um like I wouldn't want to read just anything. The, the fact that your intention is for someone in Shavasana makes it feel uh, safer in a way. Cause it, I don't know. I wouldn't want to read, like, I wouldn't want to read the headlines, you know, to my <laughs> in Shavasana because you have this sense of vulnerability and openness, like laying on your back is very vulnerable in a way. Uh, so to hear a poem then when you're just, you know, in this sort of back bend, cause your heart is open is, mm. I don't know. So beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, they say Shavasana is the hardest pose. And they say that because it requires you to completely let go. And that's, someone, that's the hardest thing for us humans to do is we want to hold on to tightness in our body. We want to hold on to limiting belief systems. And in that surrendering, there is that vulnerability that you just mentioned. 
And so the poem collection is actually split up into four sections. And the first section is about getting into Shavasana. The second section is about staying in there. The third section is about slowly getting up out of it. And then the fourth section is on closing. Because it is this really wonderful process of basically letting go of any rigid belief system, any rigid thoughts to finally rest in the truth of who we are. And isn't it so, like, it seems so unbelievable and silly that the way you get there is from things like sun salutations, but somehow <laughs> that works. Like, it's uh, every time yoga blows my mind that just from these simple things, all of a sudden you're in that mindset. It's beautiful and completely impossible to understand. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love, you got to, you have to salute the sun. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite lessons is like, you might know Pashimottanasana or Pashimottanasana. Um, it means like westward side of the body and you're stretching the back side of the body, which is your westward side. So your eastward side is the one that would be facing the sun every morning. And it's so beautiful just to wake up and harmonize yourself with the natural world around you. Yeah, it really... I don't know what I would do without it. <laughs> no. Nope. It's our refuge. It is our path, our practice, our Dharma. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know people are going to be interested in where they can find that book and your other books and also about just you in general after this. So can you talk a little bit about where we can find you? Yeah, it's super easy. My name is Zach Beach, and that's Z-A-C-H, and then Beach, like Miami Beach. People ask me if that's my real name. I say, yes, my last name really is Beach. So I'm really easy to find. You can go to ZachBeach.com or Zach Beach Love and pretty much any social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, type in Zach Beach Love. I should come up. But ZachBeach.com is really my home base. You can find my books, my podcasts, some courses, and other resources and trainings are on there too. Yeah. And like I said, the podcast is really, I can't wait. I'm going to like go back. I'm so excited to have a new podcast to listen to. (laughs) So I'll be going back. We've had some awesome conversations. Yeah. I mean, I just listened to one and it was really brilliant. So I'm excited to hear more. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Zach, and have a lovely day. Thanks, Rebecca, for having me on, for thinking of me. And I'm sending you warmth uh, to cold Chicago from down here. (laughs) Oh, please, we could use it. Thank you. Even just five degrees would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, that was Zach Beach. And I really do recommend his podcast. It's the Learning to Love podcast with Zach Beach. Um, Yeah, he picks really smart relationship experts to interview, and he's a really good interviewer. Um, I feel like I've already learned a lot. I've only listened to like two or three episodes, but um, really recommend it. I mean, even just thinking of love as something we could learn. uh, I love that idea, right? Because a lot of the time I think I'm, I don't know, I think it should be something that's like innate, but it's nice to think of it as a skill that I can improve on. Uh, so our yama today is asteya, which is non-stealing or non-possessiveness. And, you know, this applies to material goods like stealing someone's jewelry or shoplifting. But I, I also think uh, it's important to think about it in terms of non-material things that you could steal, like someone's time. Uh, I always think of this example uh, of when I was a server and it'd be like a really busy Saturday night, right? And, 
you know, you go to a table and you only have a set amount of time and you're like, hey, are you ready to order? And they say yes. And then it becomes clear they're actually not ready to order, right? <laughs> they're like kind of fumbling around. They're not asking questions. They just haven't decided. They haven't even looked at the menu. And that is stealing, right? They're stealing time, not just from the server, me in that case, but also the other patrons, right? There's only a set amount of time a server gets. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways to be considerate uh, in in stealing, in, in taking. Um, the other way I always think about it is like stealing someone's peace. So, you know, uh, having an emotional outburst, not, you know, not that I would know anything about that <laughs> uh, when someone else is having like a really good day. And it's not saying like, oh, you know, you can't ask your friends or your family to be there for you. But there's a difference between like needing someone to lend an ear and having like a huge outburst because uh, that is taking someone's peace. Or another thing, this is just a pet peeve of mine, but like if you've ever been on a hike and someone is like loudly playing music or a podcast and it's like, well, it's assumed in nature that you would have some peace and quiet. So if when you're there you're making noise that's unnecessary like that seems like it's stealing peace um yeah so i think there's there's just so many ways that we can be considerate and um kind to each other and one of them is like not taking more than we need and not just materially but but time or peace or you know whatever um and just you know i've said this a few times but these are not commandments right that it's not these yamas are not saying like follow these or else you know you'll be punished in the afterlife and in a way actually it's a little more scary because these are guidelines to live a happy life so it won't be the afterlife where you'll be punished like if you if you don't follow these guidelines like you'll your peace and your joy will be disturbed in this life um, and actually, I really liked what I Angar says about Astea. He says that. So he's talking about not just that Astea is not just not stealing, but it's the the desire to possess what others have. So it's it's wanting wanting more than what you need. Uh, and he says, freedom from craving enables one to ward off great temptations craving muddies the stream of tranquility craving muddies the stream of tranquility and isn't that like so true <laughs> like uh you know sometimes you're like very sweetly sitting looking out the window and then all of a sudden you start thinking about ice cream <laughs> and you don't have any in your house and then all of a sudden your mind is completely disturbed um yeah I that is, again, you know, the, the ability to deal with these, to live with these yamas, to be um, more thoughtful and more aware of others and yourself. It, it, it isn't, you know, necessarily for the next life. It, it's for this one because wanting things all the time is unpleasant, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, get out there and give people more peace. I don't know. Um, I won't take any more of your time. Oh, that was a pun. <laughs> I won't steal any more of your time. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so have a great week. 
have a good practice and please rate and review and subscribe to the show. Um, I'd really appreciate it. Otherwise, see you next week. Bye.